Well, good morning, everyone. These are, uh, these are not my cigarettes. I got them from Cheryl. And uh, Trevor told me how to open them. So go figure that one out. Um, but uh, since uh, the 1950s, we have seen a pretty remarkable cultural shift take place, right? We've seen this whole thing happening where we ended up with almost 50% of Americans who smoked. 1950s, almost 50% smoked. And since that time, every year, year to year, decade to decade, it is now closer to 15%. That's pretty amazing, right? Like, how come there's so many people that aren't actually smoking anymore? And so, you know, you get one of these boxes before, I, they taste terrible. But besides that, why is it that we think that, you know, the rates are dropping so fast? Almost 50% to 15%. Some of us have lived during that, that time period. It's pretty remarkable. And of course, now you'll, you, you start to know why, right? One of them is because it says, smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and may complicate pregnancy. That's on the box. Like, they, they actually have to tell you that when, when, before you go to open it up. You're like, oh, look at that. And it has to be pretty prominently uh, displayed. And so that's one of the reasons for sure, the advertising. What's another reason that you think that, that cigarettes are not being smoked like they used to be? Yeah, they're certainly expensive. And because, like, well, everyone, everyone knows they're killing them. You're, you're dying from it. Secondhand smoke, you're dying from that. Thirdhand smoke, you're now dying from that. That's new research as well. So you look at these things and you go, well, wow, that's incredible. They're telling us not to do it. They're taxing them into oblivion. No wonder the rates are dropping because people look at it and they actually say, well, that's pretty crazy. Now, you've seen chain smokers, right, who, like, they just keep going. And they're, like, adding all up. They go all day long. Nowadays in New York, you tell yourself, who in the world would do this? Who would, right? We would, we would, we just, it's so, it's so foreign to us. It used to be, we used to, we used to have people smoke on cartoons. They don't do this anymore. It just doesn't happen. Here's the thing. Loneliness and social isolation. It's the equivalent of smoking, how many cigarettes do you think? One. No. Social isolation is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Ooh, that's sort of madness, right? Like, who would you think 15 a day? That's a serious problem. If it was a friend of yours, you'd be concerned. You'd know that they were killing themselves. That's what research tells us. Social, social isolation can be as damaging to your physical health. Not, not, not just your emotional health. To your physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is pretty bad news considering that more and more people are now living alone. This used to be 
Something where in the 1960s, end of the 60s, there were 17% of people who were now living alone. Now it's up to 28%. And we're seeing these trends escalating. There's less participation in social groups. There are smaller families than we've ever had. Dropping church attendance. People have fewer friends. They have longer and lonelier retirements now than they have ever had. These are all risk factors for dying sooner than you need to. Guess what age brackets are struggling? Everyone knows, of course, the, the loneliness epidemic among the elderly, but look at this. The loneliest, the, people, the, the groups of society that, that say they are the loneliest are the youngest folks. Gen Z, millennials, reporting huge numbers when reflecting on this. And of course, we also know that it's more prevalent among men than it is among women. Not a big surprise for most all of the men that I talk to. Social isolation means that you get sadder. And with, with steeper cognitive decline, research tells us it means you get dumber. And then it tells you that you get sicker. Loneliness equals actual heart disease, not just broken hearts. Actual heart disease, which means, and this is really, really important, this is my takeaway from these statistics. If you take a friend out to Shake Shack and you enjoy a burger and a milkshake and fries, it is probably better for your heart than staying home and eating a salad. That's what I'm taking away from this research. And so any of you up for a Shake Shack trip, let me know. And we will go hang out and avoid the lonely salad. And uh, these are, by the way, these are mostly pre-COVID statistics, so you know things are getting worse. Connectedness, connectedness is more important for physical, emotional, and spiritual health than most anything else. Beacon is committed to helping, encouraging, cajoling, all of the folks who call Beacon Church home and finding a community of faith, an environment where you can love and you can be loved. And that's in our small groups ministry. This is a huge value for us here. And so I want to lay out my goal for this message kind of up front rather than surprise you with it at the end right now. Beacon has more people in our small groups than we have in Sunday morning attendance, which is pretty amazing. And at first, that sounds like a pretty spectacular thing. But these are also COVID attendance numbers. And so we also know that a whole lot of folks haven't been connected. So if you take everyone who we think calls Beacon Church home, meaning they attend or they participate in something that we do here as a church with some level of regularity, if you take all of those people and you compare that to the number of people who are currently in small groups, we average between 40 and 45% of our congregation being involved in a small group. That's a great number, and I'm super pumped about that. But... That leaves a whole lot of people who aren't. That leaves a whole lot of people 
who are still more disconnected and socially isolated. And I simply want more folks to experience what life is like in Christian community. And I yearn for this day when every single person who calls Beacon Church home will have a place, a small group, a spiritual tribe. Call it what you will. They will have a group of people where they, a, a place where they can love and be loved by their brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're in a great group here this morning, that is fantastic. And I am super pumped for you. And I want your group to be even more awesomer. Can I use that? Is that like a, I want it to be awesomer than it is now. Because if you say your group is awesome, I want it awesomer. And I want to, and I want to fold more people who are disconnected into that awesomeness. And if you are in a group, but it's only okay, then I hope you leave today with a commitment to make it awesome, to make it fantastic. And if you are not in a small group, then I'm hoping that today I am going to be able to convince you to give it a try. That's where we're going this morning. And I'm making no apologies about that because if I could paste a warning label over your own social isolation and your own solitude, I would absolutely do that. Because I want to be done with social isolation. We want to get rid of this and have a, have a part of our own experience that transcends and is more superlative than what we've experienced in the past. So I want to lay out some biblical principles for you that ought to encourage us to love people in increasingly crazy ways. And so John 13 is the text that we're going to be in, and we're going to be looking at four chords that will connect us to Christian community. Four chords that will connect us to a loving community. So the first chord is to tie yourself to the cruciality of connecting. It sounds like I'm going to make up a bunch of new words uh, here this morning. But tie yourself to the cruciality of connecting. Again, John chapter 13, we are in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus made connecting to his spiritual family an absolute priority. So imagine us here on the outside, and this is, this is Jesus over here in the middle. And he's saying, listen, this to me, this relationship between the people in my life and himself is of the utmost importance. So much so that this text tells us that this was happening hours before he would be put on trial and killed. This is hours before the crucifixion. So we got to think this through for just a minute. The Son of God thought it was important for them and for him to connect with this small group of God-loving brothers and sisters. So much so, on his way to the cross, he has hours left, he wanted to spend it with his little tribe. I just find that so amazing. They hung out together. They learned together. They laughed together. They cried together. They, they traveled. They vacationed. They worked. They wasted time together. And no time with them was wasted. I, I love that it says here that he loved his own who were in the world. 
They loved his own who were in the world. When you read the rest of John, you start to get an idea of what's going on here. See, there is absolute value in loving your blood relatives. Absolutely. I would never say anything against that. There is absolute value in loving people who are far from God. There's, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. These are, these are absolutely true. But there is an incredible importance throughout the scriptures put on loving people who are part of your spiritual family. This thing here, this relationship between God and you and having these sorts of connections and having them with other people who have a connection to God reaps incredible value in your life because you need people who are in fact connected to God. You know, and not just folks who are saying, oh yeah, yeah, I'm really a spiritual person, but we're talking about people who are genuinely committing themselves to following Jesus. You need this. Most people who, were not, who are not currently involved in a small group, they will offer up one main reason, and you can guess what that one main reason is, right? They don't have the time. They don't have the time. Too busy. Right? I got that thing to do, and then I got that other thing. And after that, I got that other thing I got to do. And I got so many things I got to do, I simply can't do the thing that Jesus is modeling and calling me into. And here's the thing. Are we really too busy? Is that really what's going on? Because we have 24 hours a day. We have seven days a week. That's 52 weeks in a year. Do you know how many minutes that is? It is 525,000 600 minutes. How do you measure? Measure a year. In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches, in miles, laughter, in strife. You should write that down. That is gold right there. I so want Broadway to reopen. So, no, I, I, it, this isn't about being too busy. It's always about priority. And we already know this. It's always about priority. It's what, it's thinking about what is important, what Jesus says and thinks is important. Jesus made this group of God-loving friends a top priority. Now, our small groups are interesting. One of our, the strategies we employ, if you want to call it that, is that they're not primarily about Bible study. We do Bible study. We tie them to the Sunday messages. But, it, but the focus of these groups, and a lot of folks, maybe you've had a different experience in the past where it's kind of like we're going to learn some, some theology and we're going to learn some, some, you know, the deep truths and this kind of a thing. And our focus is not primarily on trying to learn more things about the Bible. For us, the small groups are designed to help you apply God's word to your life within the community that loves you. That's the goal. Most of us already weigh, we already know way, way more than we are applying to our lives. This is our goal. We regularly will get people who will try to reshape our small groups into theology classes. And what we want is for Bible classes to be reshaped into sacrificial families. That's our goal. That's the dream. So if you're not in a small group, what would it take for you to make 
Small groups, a priority. Groups are finding all sorts of creative ways to stay connected. They're doing tailgate parties out here in the parking lot for a while there. There were some meeting in the larger space over, over next door in the chapel that we have over there. Others are just doubling down through the fatigue. They're just doubling down on Zoom and making sure they can stay connected. And they're looking for ways throughout the week to remain connected to each other. All right, the second chord is to tether to others through disappointment. Through disappointment. This is a tough one. Look at verse 2. Chapter 13, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Then skip down to verse 8, and you'll see when he goes to wash Peter's feet, Peter says, no, you'll never wash my feet. And then very soon we're going to see that Peter actually flat out denies Jesus. This was his tribe. These are the folks who he's about to do this incredible foot washing and he's been pouring his life into. You know, people leave churches for all sorts of reasons, but of course it's mostly because they did not feel connected. They, they didn't feel loved or there was some sort of conflict or some sort of disagreement, hurt or hypocrisy or something like that. And we, we see in the life of Jesus that Jesus is pushing through these disappointments, these failures, this heartache. I mean, Peter, let's just take Peter as an example. Peter was often dull. He was usually brash. He was always running at the mouth. He was making promises he couldn't keep. He took sacred moments like the Mount of Transfiguration, and he just completely screwed them up. He falls asleep at prayer meetings. He makes minorities feel like second-class citizens. Peter failed to support his friends in their time of need. He proved cowardly and faithless and full of envy. And Jesus comes up into the scene and he goes, Peter, I love you. I know what you did. I know what you're going to do. And I know how you're going to disappoint me. And I love you. He's pushing through this disappointment. This is so encouraging for me. He's, Jesus served those who consistently failed him. Jesus tethers himself to Peter and he presses through the disappointments and through the failures and that enables Peter to become the rock upon which the church was built. You know, some of you are resisting tethering yourself to a small group because you have been burned in the past. Because someone has disappointed you. Because a group have, of people have let you down. They have said stupid things and they have failed you when you needed them. You might be thinking, well, what if I just don't like them? You know, what if they irritate me? What if they hurt me in the future? Loving others means humbly serving them despite themselves. One of the unique features of our small groups is that we don't encourage them to be built around life stage or even lifestyle, but around geography. This is a little bit unusual. But we do this because we know what our, our, our patterns are, right? When you pick your friends you will pick people very often who are like you and who like you. That's super convenient. It makes for easy friendships. 
and very little room for real spiritual growth. When you are born into a family, that's a little different because now you've got to put up with whoever is living in your house and visiting on holidays. You've got to put up with that annoying older brother. It doesn't matter. He lives in the house. And so now I've got to put up with him. And then, you know, holidays roll around and your crazy aunt shows up. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, I, there's no crazy aunt in my family. <laughs> Maybe. That might be true. Something goes on when we have to figure out how to relate to people from every life stage and every generation. Something beautiful happens. One of the quotes that came up, we were asking our small groups for some feedback on how things are going. And one of, the, one of the participants said that the group always felt like a family that I just came to know. Never like strangers. See, you choose your friends, but your family chooses you through blood. And here we are as brothers and sisters in Christ under his blood. The blood connects us. And so we love to, the, this value of diversity in age and life stage and race and emotional differences and marital uh, different situations and statuses and things like that. And this is, this is your family. And in group life, we get to embrace and we get to push past the disappointments to start to get a taste of real love. Third chord is to yoke yourself to others in humility. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, look at verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example. You should do as I have done for you. Foot washing, of course, was an unprecedented example of humiliation. In the Roman, Greco-Roman world at the time, humility as a virtue wasn't really a thing. I mean, you could do it and people would talk about it, but mostly humility wasn't even really seen as a virtue in the Greco-Roman world. In Hebrew thought, among the rabbis, humility did have a, a, a good place, a place of, of pride and encouragement, if you could say it like that. But they did encourage humility. But this was something different. This was too much. The only people who would be washing feet in a situation like this would be the household servants or the slaves. And so for Jesus to do this was way, way unexpected and over the top. I think what he's doing here is I think he's trying to set a way for us. He's trying to show us something. That Jesus himself could do this. It was a way for him to say, love each other with radical humility. Radical humility. Which means that we live as if others are more important than us. Can we do that? Can we live as if others are more important? Can you live as if others are more important than you? We get to love like their needs take priority over our needs. 
I'm reflecting on it this week, and it, I, it dawns on me that Jesus is the only one who ends up at dinner with dirty feet. There's no indication anybody washed his feet. It's, you know, it, it happens sometimes. We have dozens and dozens of stories from our groups where people are learning to love each other in sacrificial ways. They're sharing money and they're making meals and they're giving of their time and their creativity. They've purchased vehicles and appliances and they've thrown parties for the, you know, the graduates, the COVID graduates who weren't going to be able to experience it. They put together gift bags and all of these kinds of things trying to figure out ways. Are you going to look for ways that you might humbly love your group? And if you aren't in a group, what are you missing out on? Why would you? This is an incredible opportunity in your own spiritual journey to, to have a group, an opportunity to practice this very thing that Jesus encouraged and modeled for us to do. The fourth chord, strap yourself to the servitude of Christ. I know that's a funny way of kind of phrasing this, but think this through. Look at verse 6 with me. He said to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter is scandalized by the idea that Jesus would lower himself, that Jesus would stoop to wash his feet, taking the role of a slave. The grammar even reinforces this. It's, you know, when you're in Greek, you have, to, you have to position things in the sentence to really emphasize them. You can move them around. And so the way he says it, he's like, you aren't going to wash my feet. There was indignity in it all. Peter refuses, and his refusal at first blush, it sort of seems a little bit like humility, right? You're like, oh, no, 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 Jesus, you're so much more important than me. You can't wash my feet. And if we're not careful, we might think that this was a humble response, but is it really? I mean, think about it in this way. This is the rabbi. This is Jesus. This is the son of the living God who has decided to take the initiative to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, no, I know better. Nope, we're going to take a pass on that. This is actually disobedience and self-righteousness. And how many of us do this? Jesus flips it on him. He reverses the grammar and he's like, I do this to you, and if you reject what I am going to do, he goes back and forth with these I and you. Jesus is me and you and me and you. And he's like, if you do this and you reject this, you want to reject this part of the me-you relationship, he tells them, then you reject the whole of the me-you relationship. You reject all of it. If you are not willing to let me wash your feet, then you're actually going to miss out on all of the relationship that I'm giving you. How could he possibly say this? Why? And here's why. The entire narrative here, the whole foot washing scene, is sandwiched between references to the cross. And we've seen this in the book of John before. He likes to take a story, he starts a story, and he ends a story over here, and then he puts another story in between them, and he wants you to interpret 
this story with this story. And he wants this one to be related to this story. And so he's done it grammatically for you because he wants you to, to connect these stories. And he is connecting this foot washing with the crucifixion, with his death on the cross. And of course, as soon as you start to see it, you go, of course, he does. Jesus goes to the cross to save us from our sins. So if Jesus didn't die, we could actually never receive salvation. We're saved because we trust what Jesus did on the cross, which means we are saved because of his humiliation. His humiliation equals our exaltation. And he's trying to teach them this. He's trying to show them this. Peter is scandalized by his humiliation, which will lead to his ultimate exaltation. Are we as well? I think lots of us will struggle with this. I do not easily receive help. Is anyone else with me on this? It is hard for me to do. Recently, I got back on social media. I've been off it for like eight months or more because, well, mostly because of all of the, the heartache after the murder of George Floyd and the politics and then the run-up to the election and it was just madness and I'm like, I am done with all this garbage. Uh, so anyway, I'm back on now and um, I get back on and since then we've moved back into our house. We had a house fire like forever ago now it seems. Um, but so I get back on and I start to go through and I realize that since that happened, the Kelly family's had quite a year and I don't, I don't talk about it much. I'm just not I'm just certainly not inclined to. After the fire, I actually told myself I was allowed to mention it in two messages, and that's it. I wasn't allowed to talk about it any more than that, because then people are going to be like, oh, they must be really hurting. They've got to be really sad. They've got to be overwhelmed or struggling in some way. I don't want I don't need people thinking that. I'll just keep this part to myself. I had lunch with a friend this last week, not at Shake Shack. Went to Tokolo Cantina. We had tacos. It was awesome. Anyway, I went with a friend, and he started probing a little bit. He's like, hey, so, you know, it's supposed to have been a hard year for you guys. You had the fire, and your, your dog died, and COVID rocked the church, turned everything upside down. Race wars. Oh, my goodness. All of this, the heartache it caused, all the lost friendships that we've endured, this divisive political season, people leaving the church, others coming, Gossip, accusations, all this. It's been, a, it's been quite the run. And then, of course, we top off the year with us saying goodbye to our dear friends and ministry partners. And after we sort of talk this through and he kind of details some of this stuff that we've been going through, I literally said, he said to me, you know, this must be, this must be pretty hard. And I said, nah, I'm fine. Don't worry. No, man. No, 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 I'm fine. Can anyone else relate to this or am I the only emotional idiot in the room? <laughs> Jesus is saying that we are needy. We are sinners and we can only be saved by trusting in God's grace through the cross. And then he turns around and he does this incredible foot washing thing where he just shows in such a vivid form his own action, his own humiliation in order to exalt others. 
And then he turns to us and he says, go and do likewise to each other. It is so hard to be on the receiving end. Are we going to be exalted by receiving the humiliation of Christ? And if so, then will we let the humility of others lift us up? Will be Will we be willing to be open and to share and to be genuine and authentic? It's hard to be in community with other people as a recipient of their love. It's so much easier to be the one who's giving it. One of our groups, they reported back that things are going great in their group. They said, it's going great. There's so much cool stuff going on and there's encouragement and there's prayer and there's time together and all of this. But there was one area that they said they wish they could do better in. It seems like every time they asked, everybody in the group was doing wonderful. They were doing wonderful. What's the likelihood that over the last 12 and 18 months, everyone's doing great? These leaders are hoping for more transparency and more openness. Here's what I'm hoping. I am hoping you guys take the charge to sign up and be a part of a small group seriously. Right? We want you in a small group. You take a look here and everyone, this is how Christians like it. We like to be connected to Jesus. That's kind of the thing. That's why we're Christians, right? We're, we're connected to Christ. And then Christ comes on the scene. And he's like, this is of vital importance, and I want that. But I also need you guys connected to each other. I modeled it for you. I proved how important it was for me. I went again and again back to this tribe of people that I loved. And here we go, time and again. Jesus is saying, I want you connected to each other. And I want you connected to each other in these Christ-centered communities. He himself did it. The son of God. He's saying we need it as well. So will you do it? Look at John 13, verse 17. The last verse I want to look at here. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. And what does he say there? If you do them. If you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. If you do them. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Because Jesus tells us that we're going to be blessed if we love our neighbors and sisters with radical, sacrificial humility. So will you do it? You certainly can. It wouldn't be much to take that first step. We, we, when we got our information back from our small group this last month, the testimonies, the stories that people told proved this very point that we're blessed if we do them. One person said, I think there is simply an overarching sense of love, care, and compassion that our small group emits. One needs only to ask and the group jumps. Another said, we felt over an overwhelming sense of love and support during and after we lost a loved one. Words cannot express the comfort we felt knowing that the small groups cared so much for us. 
Another said group life sustained us this past year. While there were no handbooks on navigating a pandemic, having a Christ-centered community that was always there and ready to pray, act, love, and support was the answer we needed. One person said it so beautifully, this is how I feel about my Jesus family. It's a real family. You see, we're connected to Jesus and we're connected to each other. It's a Jesus family. And if you want the superlative, over-the-top Christian kind of life, then you will want to experience loving people in a small group. So what will you do? It's just... It's your next step. What will you do? I, I was talking to one of our future parish leaders. We're starting this whole new ministry mid-year. We're going to connect all of these folks in these parishes and really strengthen our connections among our church. And I said, you know, I have this picture in my head that one day we will have, our congregation will be such that when Thanksgiving rolls around, there will not be a single person who calls Beacon Church home who will wonder where they're going to spend Thanksgiving. There'll be no one who has to spend it alone. That when, 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 when Christmas rolls around, that gifts will be flying. Exchanges will be made. Lives shared. That there isn't going to be you know, folks who are trying to figure out what they're supposed to do with their week off of work because they have no one to go with where they want to go. I've got this picture in my head of what it could be like when our relationships are just woven together like this in all of these incredibly powerful ways that Jesus calls us to. So will you take the relational risk of prioritizing a group? It is an easy first step. Just sign up. Try it. See how it goes. Be consistent for three months. Those of you who are in groups and you're like, you know, I want this for my group. That's never been my experience in my group. Then let's do that. Let's take your group to a superlative level. We want to go deeper. Exhortation, encouragement, challenge, guidance, love. If you stepped away from your spiritual family over the last year, then maybe this is the time to step back in. To double down. If you need a new group, let us know. Because we want to take our groups deeper with sacrificial humility. And we want to serve them like Jesus serves you.